0: It's Texas A&M football, an 8-4 program on this episode of the Locked On Aggies Podcast.
1: You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Aggies podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Joey Ikes. I'm joined again today by my good friend, Cameron Honesty. Uh, Thanks so much for making Locked On Aggies your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Cameron, eight and four. So... (laughs) This all dates back to an anonymous coach, which everything, you know, as Jimbo said, we'll talk about here in a minute, um, anonymous quotes and things like that uh, always are interesting to hear and read because when you don't have to put your name on something, it's real easy to say whatever you want, but an anonymous coach in in a column by Athlon Sports, which was kind of a fun column that they put together, told Athlon Sports, I'm going to read the quote. Jimbo Fisher might be a mad genius when it comes to media because they get talked about alongside Georgia and Alabama and they are every bit an eight and four program. He knows it too, but I think that's part of the plan.
1: Cameron, what is your take on this quote? All right. So first of all, how do we, how do we describe an eight and four program? Okay. Okay. How I would describe an eight and four program when anybody, and let's go back to this was an anonymous person. We don't even know. I mean, they say coach. Who knows at this point? I mean, I'm going to guess it's a coach, but we'll, you know, we'll never know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What an eight and four program, in my opinion, is an average program with an average coach, an average AD, average recruiting every year, recruiting a team that. You know, people know about and they cheer the fan base loves, but the national media doesn't really care about. And if they go eight and four every season, it's a win. Describing that for a in, we can go back to Kevin Sumlin even at the beginning. No, I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing I've heard in a long time. And we've heard some really ridiculous things shot at a and in the last couple of months, and especially Jimbo Fisher. But Jimbo Fisher has every right, and I guarantee a lot of non-Aggie people would back me up on this to say, look, why would I respond to something like this? This is a ridiculous, uh, this is somebody who obviously doesn't watch us, doesn't really understand what we're doing, and they're just kind of looking at last year's results, and we all know last year's results were based on quarterback issues, injuries, depth chart problems, and it and." going eight and four was mainly because they didn't play in their bowl game at the end of the season because of COVID related problems that a lot of teams were dealing with. So it's, it's a cheap, cheap shot. It's, you know, it's not surprising, but this is, this is where we're at. And it's going to keep coming, especially when the season starts. So we're, we're all ready for it. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep commenting on it. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think part of it comes from, you know A&M sort of had at least for a long time before you know before they laid out the money to hire Jimbo and all these sorts of things and 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 try to really take a step up in in the level of what they were doing they built you know what you could argue was a relatively well-earned reputation mm-hmm. of being a program that um that got a lot of preseason accolades and was always very well thought of because of the amount of money that goes into the program because of the size of the school, all these sorts of things, that this is a program that should be one of those top level blue blood college football programs that you do talk about alongside Georgia and Alabama. And then they would fall off the train somewhere and they would, and of course, you know, one of these programs you play, you know, Kent state or Sam Houston state or something like that early in the year you start out, you know, five and zero, oh, and you get into conference play. You lose a few games, and you wind up eight and four. And there's all this hype early in the year, and it falls off. And so, I think there is a bit of of a well earned reputation from, like you said, with the exception of the first couple of years under Kevin Sumlin. For most of the last fifteen or twenty years or so, A and M has been an eight and four program. Um, that you know, if A and M had st- had the same recruiting process and the same players and had stayed in the big 12, they would have been a 10 and two or 11 and one program over the course of the last few years, because their second best conference game would have been, you know, Iowa state instead of being, you know, LSU or something like that. And so they probably win more games and win a conference championship and, you know, advance to a college football playoff. Um, Maybe they – maybe or maybe they don't contend at that level uh, up until now. But I, I think that is where this is coming from, and it's ignoring the things like you talked about of the fact that AM is – they are recruiting at the level of Georgia and Alabama. They are – they do have a depth chart now that is capable of competing with Georgia and Alabama on the field – um, they beat Alabama on the field last year, you know, um, <laughs> okay. all those sorts of things like they are ignoring whoever this anonymous, you know, offensive quality control coach or whoever it is that they interviewed for this yeah. uh, for this uh, uh, column. Uh, they're ignoring all of those factors that you mentioned, and they're, they're trying to take advantage of this Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban sort of deal and, yeah. and play off of Jimbo and who he is as a person. And I mean, he's one of what five coaches in college football yeah. who've won a national championship? Like, he is yeah. at the pinnacle of <laughs> what college football coaches are in the country right now, mm-hmm. with one of the best, brightest defensive coordinators in the country and it, just an absolute loaded roster. The main question comes back to quarterback, and we're not going to have that conversation now, but I really think that's part of what's driving it. And what is sort of, what has sort of pushed this, um, this feeling out there. And, you know, even, you know, I I got a text from a buddy who, who, my buddy, Zach, who runs the, uh, the, uh, the Locked on Auburn podcast on August the 4th, who sent me a happy Texas A&M day text on 8-4. And like, it's like, okay, like he's having fun. I get it. But it's that sort of sentiment that like, it definitely exists out there that that's what A&M is. And yeah. until and until the ten and two seasons start to become the norm instead Stock of the out, exception, yeah. then their A is going to continue to be talked about that even if they don't operate that way, even if they are um, constant, even if they are one of the few programs that is you know really striving to go from an eight and four team to a ten and two or eleven and one or even you know a, a twelve and zero you know not miracle but you know dream scenario season. <laughs> That that pops up every now and then. Um, I think that's part of what's driven it. What what did you think of of Jimbo's response that he gave to the media this week? And uh, and how would you have responded any differently or or the same if you were in Jimbo's shoes?
1: Well, a I mean if you read if you read the rest of the anonymous comments from the anonymous coaches or anonymous, anonymous coaches making comments for the rest of the sec teams and you look at you look at missouri you look at vanderbilt and i think uh, and uh old miss was really great i mean jackson dart is one of the transfer qbs from usc and there's been a lot of mustering that he's not doing very well in camp and they don't know if he's the guy well the anonymous coach was very nice and he just said oh well if he is the guy they're gonna be really great and they're talking about you know scheme and you know, what they're going to – how this player is going to impact the team. Then you get to AM and it's just, you know what, he's an imposter, and this guy this guy just doesn't have – I think this is all part of the plan, which I don't understand what that means. It, eight and four is a part of what plan? What devious plan does Jimbo Fusher right. sure have up his sleeve? But, I, but, look, I love the way he responded. I would have said the same thing is you don't give them fodder. You know, you're focused on – fall camp you're focused on figuring out the quarterback's going to be you're focusing on how this roster is going to shape out in week one on september 3rd you're looking at who's going to be my starting defensive end my starting edge my starting defensive tackle my starting uh my starting linebacker rotation i mean you know most of that but th- this is camp battles are everything for these guys right now and like he said this is one of the more talented staffs he has and you know guys like dj Durkin, and obviously a defensive coordinator but guys like Uh, Tyler Santucci, the linebacker coach, who was also one of the assistant defensive coordinators that that guy is up and coming. That guy is motivated. And that's one of the guys who Jimbo is knows is going to go somewhere one day. So he's focused on getting these coaches their opportunities later. He's focusing on his team and he's focusing on finally getting to the college football playoff this season. He, He is not. And you can tell when he, when he gets asked those questions, he'll give you that nice Jimbo smirk and, Say, you know what, (laughs) let's move on. Let's talk about the team. And I really don't care what these people say because I guarantee one of the guys who made this comment was somebody who worked for me 20 years ago and didn't like me very much. And that's, that's, I think that's where a lot of people and a lot of coaches know what this kind of stuff comes from. And, and look, if you, if they want to take it on because they're bored or something and go, well, you know what, what does he know? You know, it's just not worth it. And I love that he he's done that with pretty much everything aside from, Nick, the Nick Saban kind of spat, but that was different. That was more personal, but he's just not going to, he's not going to give time to guys who he doesn't know who they are. And, and frankly, it's Athlon is making content like we all do. So it's not their fault. Absolutely. It's
0: not Athlon's fault. And, you
1: know, they,
0: they are almost
1: obligated
0: to publish something like that when they get it, because it's because people like us are going to talk about it and we're going to write about it at Aggie's wire and, you know, everybody's going to cover it. Right. And so, Nobody's blaming Athlon. Jimbo's not either. And it's one of those that like, just like I said a minute ago, Jimbo knows that the only way for people to stop saying that A&M is an eight and four program or that they're imposters or that he's some sort of, you know, circus master, you know, in the three rings sort of like shape shifting everything is for a to go out and win 10 games this year again Show for the second the field, time man. in three years. Um, and and make noise in the SEC West for the first time in a couple of years and for one of the few times in the course of the time that they've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about um, the offensive line and how that will impact Am's ability to make that sort of noise in the SEC West but first I've got to tell you guys about built bet online Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information, from live in game betting to scores and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. Okay, Cameron. There's some interesting things happening in fall camp. a and um, had their first off day of camp since the start of camp um, mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Um, but leading up to that, there's been some interesting, you know, I don't know if shuffling is the right word. I've been using that word a lot in terms of the coaching staff and the the <laughs> merry-go-round that happened there. Yeah. Um, but there's been some interesting things that have gone on with the offensive line, you know, Trey Zune, red shirt, really high level recruit from, uh, from a year ago, sort of the presumed starter at left tackle took the snaps there in the spring. The reviews were really good. He looks really great. Starts the, uh, starts the fall season, um, with an illness and is unable to, to start practice with a team. And Aki, um, um, takes the first team reps there during the time when he's gone. Then on uh, Sunday, I believe, which was the open practice, um, Trey Zune's first practice back with the team. Um, Trey steps in, takes the left tackle snaps as the first string left tackle, and Akiogunbi moves inside to guard. But then on Monday – Aki goes back out to left tackle, and Trey goes to second team left tackle, and, and they plug another guard in. What do you think's going on here? Uh, is this some? Is this a rotation type thing that we need to be watching for? Is there a, is there a real life competition going on at left tackle that none of us saw coming, or or is this just something where they're sort of trying to find
1: their best five up front, and, and we'll see how it goes from there? So I think it might be the latter. I think they might. I think Jimbo. I think he knows right now who his set starters are on the offensive line and especially the right, the right side. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think he might be looking at kind of an insurance situation where Trey, you know, Trey is probably still kind of coming back slowly and he just doesn't want to, he just, he doesn't want to risk re-injury right now with him. And he, he wants to know what he has in Aki knowing he is one of the more versatile um uh, offensive lineman on the team and he's he's dealt with his own injury problems over the years. So I think with trying to utilize his versatility right now, trying to figure out, okay, if we need him to shift out because of injury because of just it doesn't mesh for the first, let's say two weeks um, of the season, then they know what they have. They know what they have in him at the at the left tackle spot, one of the probably the most vital spot on the offense aside from the quarterback in my opinion. And they really need to know who's going to be protecting the blind side. We, but we need to know if Trey can't go, if Trey just you know has problems throughout the season, brother injury, or just play, we have a guy in there that we can shift in. And we know we have good depth of that position. Um, but at the same time, you need depth everywhere. So knowing that he can play at the guard position as well. But, but really, aside, aside from him, they have, a, they have great depth at the offensive line in almost every position. I'd say maybe the left tackle is the position where the depth is a little less. And so knowing that you have uh, another great athlete, a guy with great feet, good movement, very athletic, that can take on that position when needed. I mean, it's, it, it's smart. And do it now. Do it now. Do it early. Because, you know, the season is uh, is a month away.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely, and you know we're going to get into some of these inner squad scrimmages over the course of the next mm-hmm. few weeks, and and that's when all this stuff will really start to sort out, and when any depth chart changes will will start to really pop up. But mm-hmm. it was just interesting to me because you know they did take Tuesday off, and so it's not like you know Trey needed you know a day off after a, a day of practice. It's not like he sat out the full practice. He, he went to the second team, and so you just wonder. Yeah. And, and with this being coach Steve Adazio's first year yeah. at AM, it's his first exposure to a lot of these guys um, other than the the spring. This is, uh, you know, his first full year of exposure to these guys. So it just sort of feels like, you know, you hear these NFL teams, re- you know, use the term, you know, we're trying to get our best five guys on the yeah. field. Um, and it sort of feels like they're trying to figure out whether, um, whether having Aki at guard and, Z- and Trey at – at left tackle is better or having Aki at left tackle and having somebody else play left guard is a better scenario. And there's been some shuffling at left guard yeah. too, even when Aki's at left <laughs> yeah. tackle. So they're, yeah. they're clearly, I think, trying to solve, like you said, the, the right side of the offensive line feels relatively set, you know, yeah. especially at guard, you know, that's extremely solid right tackle played really well last year. Also, and they're trying to really, you know, resolve that left side of the yeah. offensive line. And they're just trying to, to find whatever solution they have available
1: to them. Yeah. And add one more point. I think that, and Aki comes from a, a run first offense in high school. So when he came in, he was one of the best run, uh, run blockers in the country coming out. And they knew that, I mean, but it was interesting when he came to A&M, he was, he was slated to become a tackle. And all, he really needed to understand pass protection. And that was something that throughout the years, learning technique, working on his footwork, and, and kind of building his body in that way. So it is fascinating because he, he is a product that when you – know, I'll compare him almost to – not to Tyler Smith for the Cowboys, but that's a guy who has potential out of this world. And I, you know, and I'm not saying Aki is, is is Tyler Smith, but I am saying that I've heard nothing but good things about what the potential he has, especially the tackle position. I think there. So you're right, Steve Adazio, in his first season, one of the best O line coaches out there. He's really trying to see what do I have in all these guys, and and is this the best? Is this the best starting five we have, or is this the best starting five? I mean, this is what you do in camp, and. It's, but it is fascinating because all we've heard all season is trazing and and Jimbo Fisher said it himself. He's the starter at left tackle. So,
0: yeah. And so you just wonder, like, maybe Aki looked great over the course of the first few days. And those are unpadded practices and shells and shorts and stuff like that. So how much can he, can he really, you know, how much can you really evaluate that play? But then again, you know, Steve Adazio is a much better offensive line evaluator than I am. So, so he probably has the ability to do that for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But like I said, it's just interesting there. And you, you add into that the fact, you know, you're dealing with the injury that, you know, it must not be too serious because Jimbo hasn't really addressed it with Bryce Foster, the center. um, Yeah. But he, he's yet to practice. Um, it's funny there's some videos from the open practice at uh, at Kyle field on Sunday and he's in street clothes you know <laughs> yeah. snapping and doing some of the drills not officially participating in practice but you know yeah. it's one of those things you get these guys around the, the field <laughs> yeah. and they're, they're not like there, yeah. he, he doesn't have a sling on an arm or he's not on crutches they're gonna he's gonna and they're not doing <laughs> You're know, do contact. something to hang out. It, it, he's gonna snap and do his footwork and stuff, but you know he snapped the ball and, and took his you know sort of run you know zone blocking footwork to the left side after he snapped it, and you could just see sort of the grimace as he took his steps towards the uh, towards the uh, the camera where uh, yeah, it does show man he's tough. It's 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 impossible to speculate. We don't want to speculate on what the injury might be, uh, yeah. especially considering you know Jimbo hasn't brought it up. And when he's been asked about it, he hasn't directly addressed it, which makes me sort of feel like, you know, maybe it's not something that's super serious. They're just being very cautious about it. What's your take there? What's your take on on the guy who's been backing him up, Matthew Wyckoff, and
1: and what that means there for the Aggies offense? Yeah, and Bryce Foster, I'll take that with a grin and saw, I and mean, I think we both will, is that he's he's one of those proven starters. I mean, he's only a sophomore, but he was he was one of the best centers in the country last year as a freshman, and he's he's – he's just one of those natural prospects that just kind of comes in and when he gets the chance to play, he just, he just goes off running and he's been, he's been fantastic. And, but it is, it is a little worrisome because we have seen that in the past with players who have sat out um, throughout fall camp and kind of just sat, uh, stood in the sidelines, like you said, in street clothes. And you kind of wonder, well, I mean, it probably isn't that bad because they probably tell us, but you know, it they're not going to tell us everything. And that's right. the thing. I, personally I think it's probably just something minor that he's rehabbing and he just wants to be with his teammates and I mean that's that's totally understandable but um I I do believe that he's too important to the point where if, if it is something serious we're going to hear something pretty soon because that is a position with a new quarterback coming in that that is very very vital yeah, and we know absolutely. we know that no quarterback likes pressure up the middle. I mean, if you're athletic enough pressure, that pressure from the sides, pressure off the edge is, you know, you can avoid that, but you need your anchor. You need your guy. Um, but, uh, with Matthew Wyckoff, he's, he's an interesting athlete. Uh, he's, he played a couple games, I believe last year. I don't know if he start. now. Now he might, I don't know. I'm trying to think, I don't know if he's played a lot of games at center, but he is extremely versatile and he is somebody, I think Jimbo does have a lot of, um, uh, confidence And if if for some reason and i'm not some speculating for some reason if bryce had to miss a game at the beginning of the season having matthew wyckoff he's a he's been in the system for a while i think he knows what he's doing i think he's he's good enough of a blocker especially at that at that interior to where he, you don't need to be you don't need to be um, extremely worried yet. And, but, but we're, you know, we're not even close to anything like that. So really right now it's, it's speculation, but in the next week or so, if Bryce is not practicing, if he's still standing out there in street clothes and just kind of watching then, yeah, it's, it's something to, to, to be a little worried about.
0: Yeah. I I definitely agree with you there that it's, it's not time to worry yet on Bryce Foster, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on in this second week of, of practice you know especially cuz because of the protocols these guys have to practice in shorts for a couple of days before they can put pads on and really get involved for sure. uh, so if we don't see him taking the field in shorts uh, for a couple of practices over the course of the next week or so we'll probably come back to this conversation next Wednesday yeah. and uh, and and probably be have a little higher level of concern yeah um we're going to move on here in just a second and talk a little bit about recruiting uh, with a couple of uh, specific guys and some some fun interesting news so the, U- the University of Southern California, um, <laughs> it was announced on Tuesday that um, against the wishes of the school itself and the football program, there is a fan or booster group. Uh, that is putting together an NIL collective um, that, uh, with, with the goal and the plan being that they are going to provide the equivalence of a base salary to USC football players. And I, I yeah. believe basketball players are included in that too. I could be yeah. wrong here. But the, – the, and the reason this is interesting to us as an AM podcast is, you know – the momentum for for A in relation to Malachi Nelson, the quarterback who's been committed to USC for a long time, uh, is is building. the the wave there, the moment the the the, the drum beat to quote uh, to quote my good friend Sigmund Bloom on the NFL and and fantasy football podcast world, uh, the <laughs> drum beat is starting to be relatively consistent. That yep. hey, this thing could be real, and that there's potential that a few months from now when we get closer and closer to signing day that, um, that this is something that could legitimately happen in terms of, you know, one of the top 10 recruits in the country, according to our buddy, John Garcia um, <laughs> could be, could be coming to a flipping off of USC. And you know we, we know that the, I don't want to use the word allegations because that's sort of, you know, incriminating or whatever, but we know the way that the, general media and college football community feels um, about what AM does, what their collective, what their boosters do from an NIL standpoint, what the belief is that they do and how much that matches reality. You know, who knows without being involved in the process. But uh, but there's a, a lot of speculation that this is in in some sort of response to that drumbeat and that momentum <laughs> yeah. being built. With Malachi, really? and, you know, there's also the Zachariah Branch visit from earlier in the summer yeah. and, and all that. There's been a little less drumbeat with that since <laughs> since that visit than there has been since Malachi yeah. came in for the pool party. But uh, what's your take on this USC thing? What's your take on the Malachi Nelson
1: situation? Uh, do you think this thing really happens? What, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts? Well, my first thought is... I would personally, I mean, I don't, I'm not a person who works in ranking, but I put a Malachi Nelson over Ursh Manning. I know that's like sacrilegious to say, but it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, Malachi Nelson, the way he's being talked about is this is the greatest quarterback prospect in years. And look, he's one of the best. I, I, I can safely say that, but this is one of the funniest things I've heard in a long, long time <laughs> is that they, in order to compete, this is USC. Like that, that's yeah. the thing. USC was recently, and I say recently, you know, because I'm 28 years old, so I was still, you know, I was a teenager, maybe almost a teenager, watching USC and Texas play for the national championship game. And I think it was, what, 2005 or just Five, yeah, I think it was. Five, good. yeah. So I was 11 years old. I remember that game like it was yesterday. And I, I remember the, the players that USC had. I mean, te- yeah, Texas is Vince Young and some great defenders, but – U.S.C. had Reggie Bush, and then I believe the backup went to the played in the NFL for about six or seven years. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but but yeah, yeah he he did. The Titans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stud offensive line. Matt uh, Leinert was the quarterback, Liner, yeah. Heisman winner, and every I mean every kid uh, who wants to play running back, I mean no matter how old they are, watches the Reggie Bush game versus I think Washington or no, I think Fresno State. They watched that game. Reggie was just running all over. I mean, it's a massacre. It was, it was, it was sad to watch. Those D back, those defensive backs must have been like crying <laughs> and yelled at in the locker room, like you're a failure. But I mean, it's just it's it has not been the same even close. We talked about Texas, and I will we we uh, we missed to to kind of touch on that in kind of mediocrity over the years and how they're you know they're throwing shade at a And think it was. Six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, five and seven. I think consecutive years of Charlie Strong and and uh, Tom Herman. But you know that who? Oh, let's not talk about that. But USC has not even been close to that. I mean, they they have been better, I guess, for the latter part of the two thousands. But after uh, after Pete Carroll left, this thing fell all the way down. You didn't hear from the donors <laughs> for like for years. I mean, the boosters yeah. disappeared. I mean, it was bizarre. And USC was never really respected. They still recruited some great players. They and I mean, I don't know. It's just it's just weird, man. It's, it's very it's very odd that they're having to do this now. Because I thought I thought everything was 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 uh, rosy. I thought it was great. You got Lincoln Riley and yeah. you got Madison through the through NIL. You got a great recruiting class. It looks like you're going to get uh, Zachariah Branch apparently. And, I mean, I've seen the recruiting. It's pretty good. It looks like a team that's going to contend soon. They're ranked. I think, they, I think they're top they're top uh, 15, I believe, maybe, in the new rankings. This is a program on the rise again, right? And th- that they're having to do this, like like going around Southern California and knocking on doors to raise money for that program. It, it's weird. It's like the Twilight Zone. I'm like, that was weird, man.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, who knows if this was something that's, you know, been in the works for boosters that they've been trying to get the school to approve or to be on board with or whatever for a long time, who who knows? I think the timing is definitely interesting. Um, and it's one of those things that you just wonder if like, you, you see some of the crowds or lack thereof that USC's had to play in front of at the Coliseum, you know, you know, that they're playing at the Coliseum and, you know, uh, what a, what a facility that is and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, that, you know, you just know that at some point this year, Malachi is going to wind up in college station for an official visit when there's a prime time game and it's going to be 107,000 people (laughs) swaying back and forth, you know, it's going to, and it's one of those things that like, You know it. I know it. We've both been there and sat there. You know, I've Mm -hmm. sat at field level there before Mm -hmm. and like just experienced what that feels like, and it's absolutely insane. And there are there's starting to become programs that it feels like realize that a And M like we talked about earlier how a And M has sort of built this reputation as this eight and four program because it was this program that everybody felt like should be able to accomplish more, but wasn't. Yeah. And the, the feeling is, at least for me as an a and fan and somebody who covers the team, is that that is changing in a way that a that feels like from administration to coaching staff to player personnel and recruiting to the players themselves, all feel like they're moving in one direction and that that, um, that unity of vision and everything is all going in the right spot to where this thing is on its way to being a juggernaut. Sure. And these other programs realize it, and they know that there's nothing in college football that compares. And, and you hear anybody who comes to College Station for a football game And you hear them before they come for the first time, and they're like, College Station, Texas? What in the world is in College Station, Texas? And to a certain extent, they're right, right? Like, we we both been there. We both understand that, right? But the other side of that coin is when you get there and you go show up and stand through midnight yell, and then you turn around, you go to the game the next day, and you just experience what that experience feels like for sure. There's nothing like it that compares, compares in college yeah. football. And anybody who goes there for the first time will almost u- unanimously admit that by the time they finish it. And there's gonna be some of these football programs. And, you know, we joke that maybe this is something that USC is realizing and why they're, you yeah. know, trying to put this together. But if you get the atmosphere that call and we heard Jimbo Fisher give his his sales pitch to uh To Colin Cowherd on the on the radio the other day, right? You know, biggest one of the biggest alumni bases over five hundred and fifty thousand something living alumni. You know, one hundred and seven thousand people at every game. An atmosphere like nothing else. You know, one of the five college football head coaches with a national championship. uh, Brand new brand new facilities, almost unlimited fundraising in terms of facilities and the the program itself. uh, Unbelievable opportunities in the alumni network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it finally feels like they are actually leveraging all of those things in the right way to build a juggernaut of a football program. And it's going to be really tough for a lot of these other schools yeah. that don't have that to that that are missing three or four of those aspects <laughs> to compete with that. Even if they have big legacy football programs and are a traditional blue bud, the way USC has been sure. They, they, it's going to start to bec- to come to fruition that that these these programs are going to have to try new and different things to compete with AM on the recruiting trail and on the field and in facilities and atmosphere and all these sorts
1: of things to try to become to try to keep up with what is doing for sure yeah and yeah it's really culture prestige and and the boosters and and just a genuine love for the program and A&M has had that for for year for every decade they and coaching even kind of the mediocre years that fan base was still around they went to every game they showed up because they care and and the, and again USC is not alone in this there's a lot of blue bu- former blue bloods current you know trying to get back to that blue blood status that it's just odd to see that it's taking so long for the fan base to get back into it and and again we'll we'll see this year with USC you know and now I mean. You know, I was joking. I, 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 would love to see USC back to to power yeah. because that makes college football better. Yeah. And so, but we'll see the season. You know, we'll see what the Coliseum looks like and if those fans show up, which I do expect them to, because of the the um, the allure of Lincoln Riley and that and that talented offense. So, and and obviously Caleb Williams, so we can't forget him. Yeah. But, but yeah, and A and M is is rising, and that's that goes back to our first segment of eight and four program. You're kidding me. This team, this 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 program is going up, 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 and it's not coming down. And that's going to be with Jimbo Fisher at the helm.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it's something we talk about a lot when we talk about the NFL going back to Los Angeles was that, like, there's so many things to do in Los Angeles that yeah. if USC is not winning games, people aren't going to spend a Saturday sure. night at the Coliseum for three hours to watch USC go eight and four, right? Like, yeah. They're going to only for go sure. and show up if they're putting elite prospects right. on the field yeah. and putting together a 10-2, and 11-1, 12-0 season for with sure. a chance at a national championship. That's what's going to draw the people. That's yeah. enough about USC. Cameron, thanks again so much for joining me tonight <laughs> Good be today. today. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I am your host, Joey Ikes. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Ikes. You can read both Cameron and I's writing. At AggiesWire.USA
1: Cameron, tell them where you can, where they can find you on social media. So obviously, you can find me on Twitter at, at @CameronHonesty, no space O H N Y S T Y, and like Joey just said, all my writing at AggiesWire.USA Today.
0: Absolutely, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnAggies. Follow us on YouTube as well. The YouTube channel is LockedOnAggies. Like, comment, share, subscribe—you know all those YouTube things. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. Now make your second listen, Locked On SEC. Chris Gordy and the experts of Locked On go around the SEC in under 30 minutes. Absolute great content. Chris does a great job with that podcast. Make it your second listen today. Thanks so much, Cameron. Have a great day, everybody.